interim senior minister, let me get this slide where I want it. There we go. Uh, I was told that it was great because Chad's always available to pinch hit in a, in a pinch. And last week I played injured, as if those of you who were here remember, I was quite ill with a cold and, and uh, not feeling well, and he was on vacation. So there you go. Today's message is based on a sermon by Andy Stanley. <clears throat> Pardon me. Andy is the pastor of North Point Community Church outside of Atlanta. And I've enjoyed through the years uh, watching some of the sermons, uh, reading some of his materials. Uh, and so this message today is based on, on one of his. You know, as you know, it's human nature to avoid things we don't like, like certain vegetables, like exercise or people who love those vegetables and only like vegetables and love to exercise like crazy and try to convince me to do the same. So there are different things in our world that we don't like and we try to avoid them. And, and there are things that we, we don't like and they can't really hurt us, but if we avoid them, there are some things that if we avoid it, it may in fact harm us because it's good for us. But one of the things that Laney and I determined a long time ago that we didn't like were super scary movies, very suspenseful movies. And we tried a couple of times, and we've muted the sound because the music just gets you going, you know. But then you can't really, you know, enjoy the movie either. <clears throat> Back in 2000, the movie uh, What Lies Beneath came out, starring Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. <clears throat> and uh, this movie was, uh, suspense went all the way through, and it kept building and the building and building. And we're right there toward the, the end of the movie, and the big scary moment happens. And, and before that, as that was happening, Lainey, I started seeing her wiggle just a little bit. And then finally she was pulling her legs up into her chair at the movie and, and her feet and everything else. And when this final moment happens, her leg goes out like that, and she kicks the man in front of us, and his chair is just doing like that. I'm sure that he had whiplash after that moment. Well, there are things like that that are kind of innocent that we try to avoid. And uh, there are some things that, uh, that we really uh, shouldn't avoid. And uh, this may come as a surprise to you, but uh, there are statements in the Bible that I don't particularly like and try to avoid. You know, the problem with some of those statements is that they're very sweeping. Like when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, Jesus is saying that for every one of us. Now, some of your tomorrows are maybe not quite as bad as the one I might be looking at, or maybe mine's not quite as bad as yours. So these sweeping statements are a challenge for us. And uh, today the author is going to answer one of those difficult questions in order to help us uh, embrace this particular statement we're going to share in just a moment that I don't particularly like. This is the question. What do we do when there's nothing we can do? We've all been there. We've been driving home from the doctor's office after the diagnosis. We've looked at our finances and things have kind of crumbled in and, and there's really nothing we can do to escape that moment of, of difficulty in our finances. Or maybe it's someone has walked in to the room and ended a relationship. What do we do when there's nothing we can do. You know, for a lot of us, that is now. For a lot of us, it's, it's some of the things that have been going on uh, over the last couple of years that have been challenging. Some of us have lost income. Some of us have lost jobs. 
There have been opportunities missed. Opportunities for even some of our children to have graduation ceremonies and, and senior dances and things like that that are not life-changing, but they're memories that they will never be able to claim. And so, what do we do when there's nothing we can do? You know, there's the, the challenge that we have in, in trying to get back to normal, or at least some kind of normal. <clears throat> We've all been confronted somewhere along the way with our sinister selves. Now, what I mean about this is that, that over the last couple of years, I have found myself thinking things about people that I never thought I would think, that I'd never thought before with the kind of, of frustration and even anger at times that I'd never experienced before. There are moments that, that we have uh, been frustrated because we're so alone, or depending on our uh, depending on our pod of, uh, of safety, there, we weren't alone enough. Trying to avoid certain things and trying to get back to normal. Well, <clears throat> there's uh, one little boy who talked about his homeschooling because he'd never been homeschooled before, and this has been, he wrote this on March 16th in 2020. I'm homed school. It is not going good. My mom's getting stressed out. <clears throat> My mom is is uh, really getting confused. We took a break so my mom could figure this stuff out. And I'm telling you, it is not going good. <laughs> now, how many of you parents would agree that it wasn't going good along the way? <clears throat> That's the challenge that we have when, when things aren't going perfectly and we, we want to, to somehow break through. Well, some of those things aren't going good at times, and, and as I mentioned before, there are passages I don't like in the Scripture because of their challenge, and uh, one of them comes from James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. Now think about it. He's grown up as, as Jesus' brother. And at the same time, he witnessed Jesus crucified and raised again and claimed him as his own Lord and Savior. James in a unique position than any other, any other in the world. Jesus was his brother, and he became a close ally. In fact, in fact we find that, uh, that James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem for more than 30 years, of the Christ followers there. And during those 30 years, the, the Jews in that place were, were shunned and chastised. They were, they were called blasphemers, or we would use the word heretics today. They were, they were challenged because they had they'd been accused of disavowing their Jewish heritage and embracing Jesus Christ. So we find that, that, Jesus, uh, that James was surrounded by and responsible for a community in crisis. This community in crisis that he ministered with and, and worked with. With all of that going on, here's what he told those first century Christ followers. Here's what he tells us to do. Here's what he tells me to do. When you face trials of many kinds. Now, I've switched the order of this verse in, in uh, James, but, uh, so it make more sense in English. But whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, the interesting thing about the word face is it's a Greek word that means uh, surprised. It's used in the term of, of being robbed or being suddenly surprised by an occurrence that's happened. So it's that moment when circumstances and, and the trial, something has happened in your life that you didn't choose, it has chosen you. So 
when you face various trials of many kinds, consider it. Consider it. In other words, reframe it. Rethink it. Try a different perspective than you normally would have. Because when you face or when you're suddenly surprised with that diagnosis or whatever's happened in your life and you're facing it tomorrow, reframe it, get a new perspective, try to look at it a little bit differently. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. So whenever you face these trials, whenever this sudden thing surprises you, these trials of many kinds, consider it, reframe it, get a new perspective, because it is pure joy, brothers and sisters. What a statement. Now that's a challenge. That's, that's the part of the passage I don't like. It's tough for me to consider it joy when I'm looking at that devastating thing that's happened in my life. How do I consider that poor joy? Well, he says, because you know. Now, what this means is that we may have forgotten it. We may have missed out and, and, and moved on from those moments when we were so close to Christ and so close to God that, that we face things with the confidence and, and really with the joy, whatever life was bringing us. But we've drifted apart from that and away from that. And James says, because you know, you know this. You can remember this. You can remember how it was. You know that the testing of your faith. Now, the word testing means authenticity, testing for authenticity. Not just trying it, but it's actually testing for authenticity. Did you know that, that pure gold, the way you can test pure gold, is you can put whatever you think is pure gold in a cup of water, and it will sink to the bottom. And if it has anything other than gold in it, it will float on top or at least above the bottom. So you can all go home today and throw your gold jewelry in the pool and see what it, what it does, whether it sinks or floats. But that's testing the authenticity of something, and that's what James is saying here about our faith. Because you know that faith, that trials expose the authenticity of our faith. That's what he's trying to say here. Testing is that authenticity, and and it exposes that faith. And the word faith here is the, is, it could be said, the confidence in God. Trials expose the authenticity of our confidence in God. Now, how confident are you? To put it another way, <clears throat> we'll go back. This confidence in God is, is a challenge because we think that our faith is authentic. We think that it's real. There are things that... Uh, that we believe that we were taught when we are children. There are things that we think we really believe. There are things that sometimes we pretend to believe, but we're only pretending because when it really comes deep to us, uh, it's not real. It's not where it should be. Things taught as a child that we've never really vetted as adults and never really embraced as adults. And in that moment, in that moment, we find this happening. When circumstances deteriorate, artificial, counterfeit, and what's in it for me, faith, deteriorates right along with it. Have you experienced that? Have you been in those moments when all of a sudden that faith that you thought you have, that confidence in God, it starts to wane and, and deteriorate a little bit? Well, faith is not how we get God to do stuff. Faith is not how we get God to act on our behalf or 
or we're praying, God, please remove this. Now, we should always pray for a miracle. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't. But many times, in fact, most times, God doesn't remove what that is. That's not the point of faith. Faith is not how we get God to do stuff. Faith isn't a superpower. It's not this just snap your finger kind of asking and things change in your world. Faith is simply confidence in God. It's a response to God. It's not a way to leverage God. James says if you'll just step back for a moment and consider it joy, then it will change everything. In fact, it does two things. It demonstrates something and it produces something. Because you know that the testing of your faith, this demonstration of your confidence, produces perseverance. Perseverance, that, that ability to make our faith stronger. Trials exercise our faith. Now, it's not an exercise you choose. It's not something you've elected. It chooses you. And then James says the most interesting thing. James says, don't leave the gym early. Well, not exactly. That's not his words. But basically, he said, let perseverance finish its work. There are times when we, we bail out. There are times that, that we bail out when we shouldn't. What God is doing in this particular trial that you're facing is at the center of what God is doing in your life. And if you bail, if you try to avoid, if you ignore, you're going to miss it. Don't shortchange the process or you'll miss out. Because the thing we want removed is the thing God has chosen to use. Think about that. That's the thing God has chosen to do. Well, in those moments, I typically want to escape that tension and that pressure. Is what can I do to relieve the pressure? What can I do to, to move away from it, to ignore it, to block it out? And that's not what James tells us to do. You know, we want to escape the tension in our lives, but it is the epicenter of what God's activity is in our lives at that moment. What are you praying about right now? What's the most serious thing that you're praying about in your life right now? That's where God wants to work. Don't bail out on the process. Don't quit the process. Don't shortchange the process. Don't stop believing in what God can do, that real joy can come. Because there's an outcome. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Think about it for a moment. When, has there been a moment in your life when you felt like everything was there? Everything was lined up. You were whole, you were complete, and everything was working the way it was, should be working. That's what he's saying. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All the tools at your fingertips, all the attitude and perspective at your, at your, at your use. There is this outcome. Let perseverance complete its work so that you will be complete. Now James understands how challenging this is, so he says this to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, 
who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Have you ever been in a position where somebody is at work or, or at home or somewhere has said, I wish you would do this for me, and you, you, ask, you look at what it is, say, sure, I can take care of that. And you get in the middle of it, and you think, I don't really know what I'm doing. And, and you, you want to go back and ask for more specifics or more guidance, but you're sort of embarrassed to do that because you said, I can take care of this, I can do this for you. So you're hesitant. James says, don't be hesitant to ask God. God is willing to give generously to all without finding fault, to give wisdom to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through that tough time, the last thing I want is wisdom. I want relief. I want to be freed from it. But with that mindset, we're never going to experience and work through what it is with God working in us. There are those moments when we need to see the whole of us differently. We need to see with God's eyes. Give me wisdom, God, that that I may see as you see. Because when we see as God sees, we're more inclined to do what God says. Well, have you ever been inspired by someone's faith? Someone that you've known long enough that you've witnessed it, you've seen it. It is just so admirable and you, you yearn for that kind of faith because they live it just openly and freely. And it's almost palpable. You can almost touch it because they are so faithful. Well, Andy Stanley tells the story of one of his friends, <clears throat> Reggie Campbell. He visited Reggie two days before Reggie passed away. And he went to his home and he saw, he visited Reggie in his office, and Reggie was sitting there at his desk, and, and uh, Andy comes in, and he sees a whiteboard behind him. And it says that, you know, there are those, those things, this is, this is a list, and, and Andy thinks it's a to-do list, because it has things on it that look like sort of life goals. But he looks a little more carefully and realizes it's not life goals to living out the day-to-day life that we all have, not knowing when we may pass. There's a list on that whiteboard of how to die well. And these are some of the things that Reggie had listed. I will walk with Jesus every day. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days when that's not so easy. When it is so challenging what we're facing. To be constantly aware and, and, and understand the presence of Christ in our lives as we walk through that day. Our attention has been diverted. We've been consumed with whatever the problem with, is without recognizing who is with us. Secondly, I will be grateful and live every day to the fullest. Now this is written by a man knowing his death was imminent. But as long as he was able, as long as he was conscious, as long as he was aware, he was going to live every day to its absolute fullest. Number three, I will bless my family with words, pictures, and videos. Wow. He understood that he was working on a legacy. He wanted his family, his grandkids, and others to to know him more deeply than he had known him by just interacting with them through their lives. There were, there were periods of time in his life that they weren't aware of, 
when he was younger and how he grew and how he grew in his faith and how he grew in relationship with Christ. He wanted them to know these things. So he was willing to take pictures. He was willing to provide the videos and descriptions of things so that they would know him even more. Number four, I will invest in my guys for their good and God's glory, not mine. He had been a part of a men's group for a number of years. And they had studied the Bible, they prayed together, they have been close friends together. And even with him on his deathbed, he says, I will invest in them. When they call to pray for me and pray with me, I'm going to ask them how their family is. I'm going to ask about that event of their grandchilds that we know that they attended. I'm going to ask about them. I'm going to invest in them and not just let them invest in me. I will let people love on me. Have you ever tried to, you knew somebody was, uh, was struggling, they had uh, death in the family, or they were ill, or there were things uh, going on that they needed some assistance perhaps, and just having meals around the house. And so you, you, you call and you say, I'm going to bring something back. No, 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 don't bother, we're fine. You know, Lainey's going to run out for, for takeout if she needs to, you know, or I'll run out for takeout, she's sick. We're just going to get by. And... The person says, no, 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 I'm coming on by anyway. And he says, rather than pushing back out of some pride or something else, I'm going to let people love on me. I'm going to let them come by and see me and talk with me. I'm going to let them do that, both for me and for them. And finally, the most profound, I think, I will not give up and run out the clock. I will not take a knee with 30 seconds left. I will play the very last play till the clock stops as much as I am able. I will not give up and run out the clock. What a powerful testimony. We find in, in this experience that Reggie's faith did not reverse the consequences of life in a fallen world. God didn't, reve- didn't remove Reggie's disease. We also know that Reggie's faith produced perseverance and courage in the midst of a fallen world. Think about it. That courage, that perseverance that was there. We understand that God will use what God chooses not to renew. He won't remove some things, but he will use them. Here's what we know. God uses that. God uses those things and will not remove it. James goes on, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love God. Do you know what the crown of life is? I don't either. But I bet you it's very, very cool and very wonderful. We will receive the crown of life. At the end, we know this, God values and uses persevering faith. Persevering faith leaves its mark on the world around us and those closest to us. Amen.